What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another installment of Crime and a Wine. How are you today, uh, Siobhan? Um, yeah. Not, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't, I don't really have anything else. It's all I get is, yeah. <laughs> awesome, yeah. Okay. Y'all know she always got some bullshit happening. It's just, I don't know. It's a, it's been a lot going on these last couple of weeks. You always got shit going on. We used to that at this point. Yeah, but this these last couple weeks have been like aggressive about it. I don't know. It's, 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 been, it's been very aggressive about it. <laughs> hmm, I guess. So you ain't, you ain't got nothing. You ain't, you ain't got nothing pressing that you say is going on in your life at the moment. I mean, not really. It's just kind of like stuff mm-hmm. is just happening. And like, you know, you be too tired to really assess what's going on. Hell but- yeah. Kind of coming in and passing out. The kids started spring break, so that's a whole nother thing. They all spring break next week. They started today. Right, right, right. So next, okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. So the kids started spring break, which is a whole nother thing when you're trying to like do things and move about, and you have children underfoot. It is just <laughs> that is a, <laughs> that's that's exhausting on a whole nother level. <laughs> You know, I just realized right now, why don't you wear your ass necklace? I do sometimes. I'm supposed to keep it on every day. I don't wear nothing every day. I don't even have nothing on there. Yeah, well, you should. Uh, that was a very random thing to bring up in the middle of our... Because I just looked and I saw mine and I was like, uh, she ain't got hers on. What kind of BS is I that? I don't have anything on. I have one. I just have a point. Don't wear necklaces usually when I have one t-shirt. <laughs> I don't want to hear the excuses. on my t-shirt. Girl, shut up. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. How am I doing? Um, I'm cool. Nothing spectacular. Nothing extravagant. Just living day to day. You know how I be. Why well, <laughs> like an extra in Malibu most wanted? I'm very confused. I'm sorry, what? Why are you speaking like an extra in Malibu? Oh. Wanted. I don't quite understand. What That's a funny is. movie, though. Anyway, what are you drinking? Because we're are you high? What's happening? <laughs> no, I wish I was. Maybe the see the thing is okay. <laughs> Just because of who the hell I am, sometimes I'll be like, I wish I could say I was high or drunk. I'm like, nah, nigga, it's just me. Um, so what I am sipping on, um, I happened to go to Target Mm -hmm. and I got something that I have drank on this podcast before, but it was like, buy two, get a $5 gift card. I'm like, nigga, I love Target. Why not? Um, it's Robert Mondavi buttery Chardonnay. Mm. What I have drank on multiple occasions Mm-hmm. But that is what I currently have at the moment. And as you all know, Chanel loves it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what you sipping on? Blase blah with a splash of something. I actually have rum punch. With a splash of? It's rum punch. The whole thing is a splash of things. 
I don't want to hear the BS. I I am drinking rum punch. I had this bottle of rum. I made a punch. Okay, punch. Hawaiian. Okay. Tahitian treat. Tahitian treat. Anyway. Anyway. Okay, so what we talking about today, Gert? Today we are talking about an inspiration in my life. Not inspiration. Inspiration? And this is crime? Okay, this bitch about to go to jail. He, he he holds a special place and he's in okay your black ass wants to go to jail but okay special hall of scammers that i hold lizzie holmes and oh, miss anna delvey it's this very special place he occupied he's on my mount rush more of scammers because i love <laughs> not of scammers i i love uh an unremorseful scammer <laughs> yeah. I love when they be like, and so what? I did the shit. What you gonna do? About like, hey, I ain't gonna I hold you to enjoy that thoroughly. <laughs> I ain't gonna hold you. I like when they be like, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, so and what you gonna do about it? Nothing. <laughs> so today we are talking about Stephen Cohen. That name sounds familiar. I'm sure it is. <laughs> And Stephen Cohen is from Great Neck. You know, working class family, nothing. You know, Great Neck is a pretty blue collar area, a little north of, of the city here in the in Long Island. It's, you know, everything is just kind of working class, just very run-of-the-mill town, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he was the third of seven. You know, mm-hmm. everything just very, but he took an interest in betting really, really early. You said bet, B-E-T-ing? Yes, in betting. Okay. So in high school, he would get into these poker games and, you know, but it's like he playing poker games in like a middle of the road type of area. So even the high stakes games, only a couple hundred dollars, but. You know, he's starting to get into these poker games. So he was working at a grocery store in high school. And, you know, he would be at the grocery store thinking of all the different poker hands to play. So he could figure out every combination of the cards, every possible play, every everything. Like, he wanted to figure out all the possible combinations and chances that you could take because that's how he likes to play. He likes to, he's a number statistics guy. He also got really good at reading people, which is a sign of a true kind man, because they can usually pick up your tails before you can. Mm-hmm. So he went, he graduated high school, went on to the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, where he got an economics degree. He was the school treasurer, I mean, was the treasurer of his fraternity. And while he was in school, a friend helped him open a brokerage account with a thousand dollars that he took from his tuition money. And that kind of set him off to the races, right? Oh, he got he got him a loan and used the other piece for some bull. <laughs> he got he opened a brokerage account and started making trades. So after he graduated, he said he was gonna hit Wall Street. He was going down to Wall Street, he was gonna make the coin. So he went down and he would go stand outside of the, 
the different brokerage firms and stuff and read the tickets. So one day he was out there and one of the analysts that for the company he was standing outside of, which was called Gruntle and Co., they, you know, he came up and they got to talking and he told him that he bet a stock was going to do something. I can't remember if it was going to go up or down. It's hard to remember which direction, but whatever way he was right. And so the the analyst was like, well, if you could do that, you should come inside and make some real money. So come inside, he gets a job as a junior trader in the options department. On, the, on his first day on that job, he made an $8,000 profit. He would eventually be making $100,000 a day in profit. And that just as he was a trader, he's making $100,000 a day in pure profit while he was a trader. So then he goes up to eventually manage a $75 million portfolio and he had six traders working under him. But it was quick. He rose through this very, very fast. Mm -hmm. He started at Gruntle in 1978. By 1984, he was running his own trading group within the company. Mm-hmm. So that's how quick he went from like junior trader to literally running the show. And he ran that trading group until he started his own company in 1992 in SAC, with the company SAC. Only thing about his time at Grunto, it was not all smooth sailing. Okay. So... Throughout the late 80s, our good Judy's over there at the SEC got a little suspicious. I'm sorry. Did you say you good Judy? Yeah, our good Judy's over there at the SEC. <laughs> they got a little suspicious. They, you know, they was like, mm, something don't look right over here. They got suspicious that he used some insider information in a December 1985 trade that he bet that RCA and GE would merge because they're like, well, how would you know that? Like, nobody knew that was going to merge. How would you know? Okay. He betted when he made the bet ahead of the announcement of the merger and they're like, mm, who told you that? What information did you have that everybody else didn't have? The SEC called him to testify. He refused to answer any questions. And, you know, just use his, he kept pleading the fifth, like, nope, I ain't going to self-incriminate, whatever. Right. Then they started looking into his other investments in the same period of time. And, you know, he just, everything was looking a little sus over there. So he didn't escape his time over at Gruntle completely unscathed. But he went on ahead to start SAC anyway, trying to separate himself from all that that was going on. He used $10 million of his own money and $10 million of outside capital to start SAC Capital Advisors, which the name obviously comes from his initial, Stephen A. Cohen. In 2003, the New York Times wrote that SAC was one of the biggest hedge funds and is known for its frequent and rapid trading. In 2006, 
The Wall Street Journal reported that while Cohen was once a rapid-fire trader who never held trading positions for extended periods of time, he now holds an increasing number of equities for longer periods of time. 2009, the firm was managing $14 billion in equity. So then December of 2009 happens, and Cohen and his brother Donald were sued by Stephen's ex-wife Patricia for racketeering and insider trading charges. Okay, Rico. <laughs> okay, Rico charge. You know, Rico is a motherfucker. <laughs> That's a different level of, of mm-hmm. criminal activity. On um, March of 2011, the U.S. District Court in Lower Manhattan dismissed that case. But oh, then- okay. But then April 2013, the Court of Appeals said the lower court made a mistake in dismissing the fraud claims and they revived the lawsuit. They also revived claims of racketeering and breach of fiduciary duty while upholding the dismissal of the unjust enrichment claim. So they brought back some of the charges, but not all of them. <laughs> okay. And they was like, mm, maybe he ain't make his money unjustly, but some other shit was going on. <laughs> Okay. So they said that Patricia made a plausible allegation that he had concealed $5.5 million during the negotiations on a separation agreement in 1989. You know, the one that preceded their divorce. He, she basically accused him of hiding the assets. And of course, it like, kind of looked like he did, though. Kind <laughs> of looked like he did. <laughs> And this, you know, this lawsuit coming back up is also in the midst of his own SEC insider trading investigation. Michael Steinberg, who was one of his closest confidants, was arrested by the SEC for insider trading. Mm-hmm. They got affiliates reaching two civil insider trading settlements re- totaling nearly six hundred and sixteen million dollars. With I'm the sorry, SEC. you said six hundred sixteen mil, not yeah. thousand. No mil. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Oh. All right, all right. Then. But SAC is still saying we mm-hmm. ain't. We can't either say we did or didn't do it. So, but all this is going on while she's suing him for fraud, and while it's like he had a lot going on at the time. And in in that, he was trying to buy the Dodgers as in a baseball team. Yeah, and um, the Dodgers was like, you know what, sis, Uh, you got a lot going on. So they said no. So he said, well, fuck you, hoes. So he came back to New York and he bought the Mets. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he bought eight percent of the Mets in the middle of all of that happening. Chaos. <laughs> all that chaos. It's like let me go spend an an a large amount of money because he in 2012 he became a minority owner of the Mets with an eight percent stake. In 2020 he had bought controlling interest in the Mets by buying other people's interests out. Oh okay. Hmm. So he September 14th of 2020. 
An agreement was made to give him majority control of the Mets, pending approval from MLB owners. He was approved. He's now the majority owner of the Mets. He went from minority to majority that quick? Mm-hmm. What the hell? Yeah. That's it, a bull swanky. Yeah. So, like, still to this day, still majority owner of the Mets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's some bull swanky. I don't, I mean, I understand, but I don't understand how the hell you go from minority majority to he majority. He just started buying everybody out. Like, what the hell is that shit? He just started buying everybody out. There should be something that stops that. Not when people want to sell their interests. I mean, oh, I understand. Oh, don't get me wrong. I understand why it's happening. Doesn't mean I agree with what's happening. So he bought into the Mets in March of 2012. November 2012, he was implicated in an alleged insider trading scandal of involving Matthew Martoma, who's a who was a former SAC manager. They brought charges against a number of other SAC employees from 2010 to 2013. Martoma was convicted in 2014 in what federal prosecutors called the most profitable insider trading consp- conspiracy in history. Oh. Because they were, so this is what they was doing, right? So they was using what was called um, expert networks. On its face, there's nothing wrong with expert networks. A lot of people on Wall Street use them. It's really just this, your connections to people who may work in these different industries that you could talk to and get information that's that may be like known within that industry. But if you're not in the industry, you may not know this information. So right. everybody uses these. It becomes an issue when you're getting information that is not widely known to the public. And especially if you're paying them for giving kickbacks for like, in a lot of these cases with SEC, SAC, they would do a lot of um, drug, they did a lot in like biochemistry and stuff like that. So they had doctors that would like give them results of like drug trials or give them a heads up if a a drug is going to fail a trial so they can like short sell it or they could, you know, so that's how, or different. Um, They had a lot of stuff in like electronical and technological advances. So different stuff like that. So that, and it's like the thing about insider trading is one of those like fine line crimes, right? Always all the time. And because it's very much like, it's it's a super super fine line to walk between what's what can be considered just general conversation and what's considered insider information what's considered widely available what's not you know it's because it's so subjective because mm-hmm. some people can say oh if only people in this industry know it's not widely avail- available available. Right information right some people can say well if you involved in the industry you should know people in it so you could have gotten the information it's just all so subjective so this this is how everybody getting caught up now because now it's like they got tapes they got the fbi was Mm -hmm. on that for a long time 
So the SEC later brought a civil suit against Cohen, alleging his failure to supervise his traders and things. He settled the civil case with regulators in January of 2016. And in that agreement, he was prohibited from managing outside money until 2018. Oh, okay. So he just couldn't manage funds for two years. SAC pled guilty to insider trading charges in 2013 and paid $1.8 billion in penalties. So you said 1.8? Yes. These dollar amounts, man. (laughs) And they were required to stop handling investments for outsiders. Somehow, Cohen escaped criminal indictment himself, even though he literally was the like central piece of SAC capital. Like he had to approve everything, mm-hmm. but somehow they didn't have enough to tie him to it. He was trying to keep his hands clean. Of course. Um, there's a doctor named Sidney Gilman. He was the star witness against Matthew Martoma because he was one of the doctors that was giving results of drug trials and stuff like that, not even knowing he was raking the law. He thinking he just... Just do what he got to do. Just talking to a friend. (laughs) (laughs) He testified that the FBI agents told him that Cohen was the investigation's ultimate target, even though they couldn't necessarily, they didn't have enough to like pin it to him. Mm-hmm. He was featured in The New Yorker in 2017. Uh, and it, it's an article. If you want to look it up and read it, where you can like read this guy's own words, it's called When the Feds Went After the Hedge Fund Legend Stephen A. Cohen. So, but he continued. Stephen Cohen. Of course, of course he did. Y'all ain't going to put me there. <laughs> and Don't 20- they always keep going? They do. In 2014, he founded Point72 Ventures, which is a venture capital fund that makes early stage investments. Now, I do love a company with a vague-ass company description. <laughs> it's like, we don't really know what you do, and this string of words together gives me no more information than I walked in here with. But it just sound official as fuck. Like, it's... <laughs> the best one to have, though? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, then. They know what they know they're doing. It's like I ain't came in or left with no more information than yeah, I started with. Yes. But I got a sentence for you, and this shit sound hella official. <laughs> <laughs> so in January of 2021, 0.72, which is his, Cohen's hedge fund, joined Ken Griffey, Ken, Ken Griffey, the baseball player. As in senior? I didn't say which one, but whatever. Joined their King Griffey's company, Citadel, and putting $2.75 billion into Melvin Capital, the hedge fund of somebody who used to work for Cohen. Mm-hmm. And this is the result of the GameStop short squeeze that happened in 2021. I'm about to say a couple years ago? Yep. <laughs> oh, my. Okay. Oh, he was criticized quite a bit for his role in that, to which he responded he was just trying to make a living on Twitter. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Twitter's where all the dick is, girl. 
Girl, Twitter's a motherfucker. So he's like, he's been criticized left and right, left and right for everybody around that. And he just on Twitter like, well, I'm just trying to make some money. I'm just trying to make a dollar. I'm just trying to make the ends meet, right? You heard him? He just need a little money, a little little pocket change. So he was asked by a Mets fan about his involvement in the short squeeze and he denied that his involvement would have anything to do, any effect on his willingness to spend money on the team. Okay. Namely, and uh, that's all they cared about. It's like, well, if you being cheap in this short squeeze, are you going to stop spending the money to get the players we need so we can actually play the game? thousand percent. That's, that's all they cared about. They ain't going to fuck about this. Listen. You are correct, madam. So he deactivated his Twitter account in January 29, January 29, 2021. But then he he like reactivated the letter, but he like said he had stepped away because he had an influx of threats against himself and his family. I believe he's back on Twitter now, so. <laughs> I don't have the time for Twitter. I think yeah, he reactivated February 23rd, 2021. 22. He also, you know, he's done a lot of like charity work and stuff too. Mm-hmm. And, but he also gave a lot of. He, Excellent. he also does a lot of political donations. Mm-hmm. But so here's the thing about his political donations because it's hard to say where he stands because he donated a lot of money to Donald Trump, but he also donated a lot of money to Eric Adams. Because he, because he don't care about the. Politicians themselves, he's just like, I donate, nigga. Basically, because it's yeah. like, I'm like, one's Republican, one's Democrat. When, like, this is like, I it's so hard to say. He's like, I'm just giving money. Whatever. Or he don't care about Republican versus Democrat, because I'll tell you what, I don't. I don't either. He probably just jumps like, whichever one he this talking to best is like, this who's right. Like, they two sides of the same coin to me, shit. Agreed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> This is why I love Stephen Cohen, right? Okay. He's widely committing a crime. <laughs> Everyone knows that he's committing this crime. And he just stonewalls until they don't have no more questions to ask him so they can't pin the crime on him. Ain't it the best way to go? It is just wild that it works. It's like the joys of being white because... The way this right. doesn't work for my black ass is right. like I, I, you have to stand. Right, duh, girl. And, like, and I'm gonna still own this baseball team. And what about it? Exactly. <laughs> what you gonna do? Nothing. I stand. <laughs> and that is that's Mr. Cohen. This was this felt short. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. About 40 something minutes. It's okay. It's cool. It's cool. I know this is a good one. This is a good one. This is a good one. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. 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 Thank you so
that you all can go and purchase mm-hmm. uh, Crime and Wine, next installment, you know, all of that. You can go ahead and purchase all of our merch online. Um, with that being said, we will see you guys next week. Peace out. Bye.